Welcome, Savvy Investor, to Skyline Views. Welcome to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. My guest today is John Blanton. John's a technology workforce expert and also a real estate uh, and cash flow investor. He's the uh, host of the Contrarian Cash Flow Podcast. I'm already a fan of it, so I'm a big, uh, big fan and really, really happy to have John here today. Welcome, John. Yeah, Chris, I'm very excited. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about your background and your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, so wife and I live in North Carolina, right outside of Raleigh-Durham. Um, we've been here for about nine years now. We've got two little daughters and uh, we're both in sales on the staffing and recruiting side. I'm in technology. She's in finance and accounting. I've been investing in uh, real estate for about five years now, gone down quite a few rabbit holes, you know, starting with the single family rentals, did some flipping, did some private lending. I've invested in syndications. And actually, uh, just of last week, I was able to close on an 18 unit property in the Greensboro area, uh, just between me and my wife. And so definitely excited about that, continuing to learn. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, yeah, super excited, very fortunate. I just feel so grateful that uh, the guests that I've had on so far and the people that I've been able to listen to the show, uh, the, the support seems really great. So yeah, it's called Contrarian Cash Flow. Uh, the tagline is think different, earn different, live fulfilled. And so a lot of the show is about how entrepreneurs and investors think differently create the lifestyle, the freedom that they want. And a lot of that comes through diversifying their income. And so I just kind of really get to pick their brains and learn the tools of the trade. It's kind of a selfish indulgence in that, uh, you know, I get to learn from these uber successful people and uh, steal some some nuggets here and there. So yeah, um, I'm really enjoying it so far. And like I said, the only, biggest thing I can say is I'm just extremely grateful for the folks that have listened and, and obviously the guests that have joined me. Awesome. Awesome. You've been, you and I have both been called contrarian. Um, what got you on the path to real estate and income diversification in that sense versus just kind of saving up a nest egg and, you know, hoping you don't outlive it kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was happenstance um, because my wife and I are fortunate and do fairly well in our careers. We have a non-discriminatory 401k plan in our, in our company. And so there was only a minimal amount that we could put into the plan every year. And so then all of a sudden we had all of this additional capital stacking up and we're like, what are we going to do with it? You know, we were disappointed at the time, which looking back, I think it really was a blessing in disguise. But um, at the time we were extremely disappointed. You know, you go from putting 18,500 into your 401k to putting in 4,000, right? I mean, it's kind of like, well, geez, whoa, now I'm paying another $14,000 or tax on another 14,000, right? It seemed like a really big negative. Um, but um, so this is probably five, six years ago started looking at real estate, um, you know, looking at alternative investments in general, but, you know, businesses, gyms, things like that, having a young family and a career, it just probably didn't make sense to do something that was fairly active on a, on a daily or, or weekly basis. And so that's why real estate attracted us um, as it does. You know, I think a lot of people is, Hey, let's just get a couple rentals, you know, work on paying them off. And then, you know, we'll have additional income coming in if something were to happen in our careers, or if we wanted to take a different direction. So just like many of your listeners, I'm sure starting off, started looking at rentals, townhomes was kind of the first place to go, right? Single family homes uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area, even, even at that time were, were fairly pricey com in comparison to the rents. So we were targeting the 1% rule and uh, eventually found some condos right near downtown Raleigh and North Carolina state that, that we jumped into. And uh, so that was kind of our first foray into real estate. Very good. 
over the last five years, what are some of the things you've learned uh, or maybe tips and tricks you can share regarding still doing well in your job, right? Still being faithful to that, but doing well and not cutting corners and such when it comes to investing that extra capital. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I think on the face, you could see how there may be some competing endeavors, right? You know, having a career and looking to be successful as an investor, but I look at them synergistically and saying, hey, how can I work my job so I can make more capital so I can plug into more investment endeavors so that in turn I can have more income coming in. And, you know, if there comes a time when that income surpasses my, my you know, my full-time career, then, then at that point I can make a choice. Um, but, you know, the more folks that I talk to and that I learn from, they're just saying, Hey, as long as you can ride it and you know, your life's, I'm very fortunate. I, I get, a, I don't travel a lot. I see my children every evening. Um, and so I think, you know, it really comes down to the career that you have and then how that is impacting your life. And so I talk to a lot of other investors and they're in different situations when they're working a full-time job. So I'm in outside sales. So that's a little bit of a more unique perspective than, you know, somebody that's a project manager or an analyst or, you know, some type of financial services realm. It's just a different different background, right? And so, you know, it allows me a little bit of flexibility throughout the day if I need to take a call or if I need to, to handle something short-term during the day. Um, but as far as from the real estate perspective, I was actually just thinking about this yesterday. Um, it's a lot harder to make money in real estate than people realize. I think it's I think it's pretty challenging, um, especially where the market is right now, right? I mean, anybody that bought five years ago, you could make money, but the way that the market is right now, there's so much competition. I think real estate has become a lot more mainstream than it was in the past, uh, especially as we've talked about before in regards to syndications, right? Private placements are becoming more and more uh, prevalent out there for investors. But um, so I was kind of thinking about the single family rentals and uh, I was kind of thinking, Unfortunately, they're, they're really an appreciation play, uh, you know, because if you have any of the large mechanical systems, if you have any type of major exterior CapEx, you're pretty hamstrung for, for quite some time, you know, I mean, so if you're making two to $300 cash flow a month in a deal, and then all of a sudden you got to replace a new roof and the siding, you know, that's 15, $20,000. I mean, that eats up cash flow for, for quite a bit of time. And so I think that's why we started to look at larger units and, and look at scale uh, is kind of back to that diversification you've got unit diversification you've got income diversification if you have vacancy if you have major capital capital expenditures that are required for the property you at least have a little bit more of a stream coming through so i think that's the biggest one is not to demean single family rentals or, or you know individual unit rentals i still own a few myself um but i can tell you the truth they're the <laughs> they're the they're slogging along through covid right now and you know i've definitely felt more pain there than i have in the opportunities that are a little bit larger and more diversified gotcha what do your systems look like at this point regarding your team, right? And the, and the software you use, things of that nature. What are the, uh, the junctions at which you put these things into place? Yeah. I mean, maybe again, back to the contrarian piece. I mean, I'm kind of like a lone wolf, you know, I mean, other than my wife, I mean, my, my, my wife is my biggest partner through all of this. Right. So without her trust and without her um, belief in my abilities and in my ability to kind of vet these different investment opportunities, none of this would be possible. And so first and foremost, you know, she's my partner through all of this. Um, but, you know, I hate to say it, but I guess I'm a little bit greedy at this point. You know, I have a lot of 
confidence in my abilities. And so obviously I've got relationships with brokers, property managers, uh, but I've started going direct to sellers and just trying to cut out the broker myself. Um, and that's actually how I landed this 18 unit deal. So, um, you know, as far as my systems, that's something I'm a sales guy, right? So, I mean, you're analytical, you're, you know, you're kind of the looking at, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, right? I'm the shoot from the hip guy, right? So my systems definitely need some work. Um, but so from a software perspective, obviously I've got, you know, the different email tools, the different chat tools, things like that um, for both my, you know, my career and then also for my investing endeavors. But so I just use a very basic CRM. Um, and then the software that's assisted me the most is called Reonomy. It's kind of like a co-star light. Um, I've just, it's very searchable and it's got a very expansive database of contacts within there. And so that's really what I'm using in regards to my outreach, either direct or indirect. Um, but yeah, from a team perspective, the way I kind of look at it is the more, you know, when you bring on a partner, you have to share some of the, some of the proceeds, some of the victory, whatever, whatever the case is. Right. So it's a give to get, and I've really leveraged advisors more. So it's a fixed rate and you know what you're getting out of them. Right. So it's kind of a, a fixed-based relationship, right? So I've, I haven't really leveraged partners as much as advisors. And a lot of that, I think, has to go back to my my network is a lot of active investors, right? So a lot of them are the same, right? I'm not going to bring on more individuals into a project unless I really have to. And I'm not saying that I'm taking down five, $10 million deals, right? So, I mean, that's not the argument that I'm making. But, um, but yeah, overall, thankfully, it's been my wife, um, you know, my kids have visited a bunch of the projects as well, too. And then more than anything, I've leveraged advisors and mentors that have really helped expedite my learning curve through this whole process. Excellent. Let's uh, go back to income diversification now. When you hit your goals, right, say you, even with your well-paying sales job, if your real estate eclipses that, uh, which would, you know, also be nice, right? what kind of percentages or ratios are you looking at as far as how, how real estate heavy do you want to be? Do you have other things in play? Uh, what would the ideal situation look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, so I, I think this is one of the contrarian views that I'm, that I'm taking on. I actually just saw somebody kind of posting some content about it tomorrow. And it was the point of you, you don't need as much income or as much means as you think you do to, to live. Right. And, mm -hmm. I, uh, I actually disagree with that uh, wholeheartedly mm -hmm. because, um, you know, and I mean, to be fair, um, my, my family and my, my wife, we're all, we're non-materialistic people, right? We don't, we don't care about that stuff. But the thing that I think is extremely valuable to me is peace of mind. When you don't have a lot of means or when you don't have that big nest egg, if something were to happen unforeseen or kind of, you know, like an insurance policy, I feel like the, the larger your net worth, the more, the more capital you have at your disposal, it just gives you more freedom and opportunities if something bad were to arise. And so the way I look at it is, uh, this year I've done a ton of networking, a ton of learning. And what I've realized is I, you need a lot more money than you really think to live, um, you know, live a comfortable lifestyle. We have two kids uh, through coronavirus, we've kind of pivoted and sent them into private school. And so our monthly burn rate is pretty high, you know, and I mean, we're not going to Roos Chris or, you know, she, my wife's not getting the Fendi bags or anything like that. Uh, we don't have car payments, but you know, uh, my youngest daughter's still in daycare. And then we've got aftercare, we've got private school for my oldest, our mortgage isn't very expensive, but it all adds up, right. And I mean, we don't, you know, we don't count every single penny or anything like that. But I just think that that's kind of the point that I think a lot of folks get caught up on. And I think maybe that's where I 
come in a little bit more contrarian is you actually do need a lot more money than you think. Um, the way I look at it is say you had $2 million liquid and you invested that into a syndication deal and 8% preferred return. That's $160,000 a year. Don't get me wrong. That's not, that's, I'm not saying, trying to say that that's not a lot of money, but for anybody out there that lives in a relatively high cost of living area, living expenses. And if you have a family at all, that, that adds that, that eats into that really quick. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it just makes it more difficult the, the, if you don't have the income to offset these expenses and to exceed them, then building that nest egg moving forward is going to be more difficult. And so I think that's the point is even if you can live off $160,000 or $100,000 or whatever the case is, your nest egg isn't going to grow as exponentially. And so I think with my career, as long as I can continue to be successful at that and the investing and be able to grow it um, to a certain level, then I think that's really what, what my goal is right now. And I think that's what I'm learning. And actually what's been advised of me from folks that, uh, you know, I had a very different view earlier in the year and was talking about specific dates and this and that. And I'm very thankful for folks that I've come in contact with that have kind of steered me back into the direction that I need to be and say, hey, you know, Yes, you're not going to be in that corporate career forever, but what's another four or five years to get you to the point where, you know, now you're, you know, maybe you're 200 or 250 from your side endeavors and everything like that, right? And then it's like, okay, well, at least then I've got another 50 or 75 grand to invest per year into these deals moving forward. So I think it's, I think I was looking a lot short term and just saying, you know, it, it, I think it's very sexy and very intoxicating to be like, oh, I'm going to quit my job, right? I'm going to throw my hands up and just walk out the door. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. But the downside of it is if you don't have the income coming in to offset those expenses, how is your lifestyle going to change? And how's that going to impact you mentally? And how is that going to impact the relationships that are closest to you in your life? And so I think that's kind of the big downside of this people don't think about is, if you're an entrepreneur or if you quit your job and then you're just kind of a lunatic, you know, or very, very high strong moving forward around your, your kids, your wife, your spouse, whoever it may be, is that a better situation that you're currently in? And that would, that's not an, that's not a question that I can answer for the individual. That's just a question that I would pose to the individual is asking them, you know, are you doing this for the right reasons? And is the outcome going to be what you expect? Or is it just kind of this, magical outcome that you think is going to be exciting. But at the end of the day, you're going to have more stress. You're going to have more concerns. You're going to have more challenges in your personal relationships. And, and for me, above all else, the, the relationships that are closest to me are obviously my family, you know, my, my daughters, my wife, my, my close family and my friends. And so anything that would potentially impact those relationships or cause me to act differently in those, I would want to avoid. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of way, the way I see it. All good stuff. Very good stuff. You are invested in the Fayetteville, North Carolina market. Um, can you share some of those numbers with our listeners as far as what the market is doing, was, proje- was projected to do, I guess, this year and uh, what you've experienced this year? Yeah, absolutely. So Fayetteville is, uh, so from where I live, it's about an hour and a half south. Um, and it's a really interesting market because it's a pretty large MSA. It's around 300,000 or a little bit above, uh, you know, as far as an MSA. And so when you look at statistically in the country, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty good size, right? You know, that's kind of anything north of 300, I consider, you know, relatively large uh, from an MSA perspective. And so, of course, you've got the, the, uh, the military base down there huge employer, a lot of ancillary businesses that are dependent upon the military base or, you know, obviously assist with uh, the military base, a lot of healthcare around there as well. 
Um, and so just before this, you and I were talking about this, but one of the interesting data points that I saw earlier in the year around Fayetteville was um, bigger pockets had come out with some analytics around some of the best markets in the country for both cash flow and for appreciation. And, uh, you know, you never think of Fayetteville as a big appreciation market because you've got a lot of military families down there. You've got a lot of transient families down there. So you've got a lot of very economically priced houses, right? You know, the, the 120 to 200,000 range is extremely competitive. Right. But above 250, you know, there's just not the market there that there is. And, you know, anything about below 100 is, you know, a little bit rougher shape. Um, but the, the data was interesting because it was actually in the top 10. If you combined appreciation and you combined cash flow in the markets, Fayetteville was a top 10 market. Um, and then also I saw something recently from RealPage that came out that um, that had two counties in the vicinity of Cumberland County is kind of the main county there in Fayetteville that uh, that were both top 10 for rent growth in uh in the u.s and so it's it's an interesting market um i would say those are obviously positives um you know some of my concerns for the market just are that it is very dependent upon the military base and so you know we're in very interesting times right now and so um because of that, if there were a recession and then, you know, there was a mass deployment and there were a lot of troops off that base, you know, how are the businesses going to be impacted? How is the real estate going to be impacted in that general vicinity? And uh, a lot of that comes from conversations with lenders throughout the year, right? They say right now lenders are pretty, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty liberal. I, in my opinion, you know, they're, they're looking past a lot of things that normally they wouldn't, but um, you know, one of the biggest factors for lenders, especially if you're looking at agency debt on some of the larger deals, is what is the population? You know, is is there more than 50% of the residents that are you know direct, you know, either in the military or for a specific employer, whatever the case is? And obviously, in Fayetteville, a lot of the properties, especially those closest to the military base, are, are highly populated with with uh, military personnel. And so I just think that's that's an interesting factor. I think Fayetteville is going to remain a good market because there's a lot of there's there's multiple universities down there. There's actually a minor league baseball team down there now. Um, you know, it's it's well positioned. It's right off of I-95, so it's just kind of a nice throwaway through the state. And um, so I'm I'm not concerned about it going anywhere. Um, but right now the valuations are just starting to get to the point where it just doesn't make sense unless you're really being aggressive and, and at scale down there. And I think back to the point about appreciation. I think that's the concern for me is if I buy in a you know, property at $60,000, $70,000 a door in Fayetteville, when I go to look to exit that in five years, you know, is that only going to be sixty-five, seventy-five thousand? You know, as far as an exit, and so I think that's kind of the concern. There is, are these is this growth, is this cap rate compression going to continue, and are these valuations going to remain? And if they even if they stay flat, in my opinion, that's almost losing. And so that's why I've kind of started to look at other markets within within the state. Um, but I, like I said, I like Fayetteville as a market. I've done flips down there. I've done you know I'm in, I'm in a current deal down there. Um, so I think it just depends on the particular deal. I just think you have to, just like anything, you have to buy it right and make sure that you're getting it at an equitable price point that if, uh, you know, push comes to shove and you had to do something you didn't want to, that you wouldn't end up losing any capital. Um, but yeah, no, I think it is a good market. And obviously the data says that, uh, that there's a lot going down there, uh, in regards to growth and cash flow. Awesome. What are some of these other markets that you're looking at? You just mentioned, you know, there's possibly a couple others in the state. What are you looking at? Yeah, so I'd be a lot more interesting question before coronavirus hit. So I've definitely gotten a little bit more gun shy in some of the more ancillary markets. So I still really like Greenville, North Carolina. Um, it is pretty dependent upon 
the university there, East Carolina University. But um, there's a huge medical system that's based there, and it's kind of the large. It's the largest medical installation across the the eastern part of the state. You know, the eastern coast of the state. So I still think, again, it's 200,000 MSA. It is growing. There are some. There's a lot of manufacturing there. Um, there's still quite a bit of farming out there as well. Um, but again, same thing. Kind of with Fayetteville, the price per door is starting to get to su to such a point that it just doesn't seem like it can really go much further. Right. I mean, cause you hear about people picking up stuff in Huntsville, Alabama, or, or even like, you know, Greensboro, Winston, Salem, and these price points in Greenville, North Carolina are getting pretty comparable. Right. And so I think that's what scares me is I, you know, I'm not going to compare a Greenville, North Carolina to a Huntsville, Alabama, or to a, you know, to a Greensboro or to a Winston, Salem. Um, so yeah, Fayetteville was a big one that I was looking at. Um, obviously kind of not down on it, but obviously just a little bit more hesitant there based off what I was talking about around the lending ramifications. Greenville, North Carolina was a was a market that I was looking in and I'm still fairly bullish on I'm just kind of waiting for things to shake out and prices have only gone up since COVID hit so I think the risk has only gone up and so have the prices so for me that's uh that's a little bit more of a challenging proposition um and that's why I like the triad I've been really focusing on the triad a lot Greensboro Winston-Salem High Point not as much uh the employment drivers just quite aren't quite there as they are in Winston-Salem and Greensboro um and again the price points in, in High Point aren't so far off that, um, that I feel like it makes sense that the rent growth isn't going to be there. But uh, if you look at the triad, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and, and obviously High Point included in there as well. Um, but for the last couple quarters, it's around 5% year over year percent rent growth. And um, I think that's only going to continue as the Raleigh-Durham area continues to expand. There's kind of a thoroughway, you know, between Durham and Chapel Hill and Greensboro and in those towns have started to to grow and there's a lot of new A-class product that's there. There's a lot of demand for workforce housing. There's a lot of demand for affordable housing in those areas. And so I just think anything, you know, I, I can see in 10 years, Charlotte and Raleigh are going to kind of just be this massive glut, you know, with uh, Winston-Salem and Greensboro in the area. So if you want to live in a large MSA, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's a 2 million person MSA. I mean, it's a sprawling area, right? So don't get me wrong, but it's a 2 million person MSA when you combine those three cities and three metropolitan areas and so to think that you can get you know fairly fairly reasonable prices in an msa that's that large um i think that's what's compelling to me but i just think the state in general is is on a tremendous run and i think it will continue to do so because of what we're seeing in california what we're seeing in the northeast in new york and new jersey and, you know, actually, we actually have quite a bit of influx from folks from Florida as well. So I just I think the state's on a really good run and uh, I hope it just doesn't continue too strong, uh, you know, so that uh, so that we get priced out as well. But uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of good areas. I haven't checked out Asheville as much. I like Wilmington uh, down south at the beach. But again, you know, price points there are pretty aggressive as well. Um, but I think that's a very high growth area also. So, I mean, yeah, thankfully, I'm in a very fortunate position being in the state of North Carolina that it, there's a lot there's a lot of good things going on. And so, you know, pivoting to another market isn't isn't terribly difficult. Yeah, yeah, I agree with your assessment of the triad. Um, my, I have a lot of family there. Uh, my parents are from there. So I know it well, I've, I've been visiting my whole life and seeing, you know, the manufacturing starting to leave High Point and what that did and um, seeing Winston kind of come up and it's been uh, yeah it's been a, a great ride I think it's it's I'm a big fan of the market so yeah I, I definitely agree with your assessment so when it comes to kind of getting out of the rat race so to speak 
what will life look like for John Blanton and family? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so I think it kind of goes back to that diversification piece. And so I finally got my wife on board. So she actually just purchased a business here recently and she's doing a great job so far getting that up and running. And so I think it's finding ways to create income in, in different avenues. Um, and so, I mean, so buying a business is entirely different than a real estate investment, but I think that investment was somewhere around $40,000. And once she gets it stabilized and kind of up and running, it should be making anywhere from two to $3,000 a month in cash flow. But obviously that's a lot more, you know, she's doing a lot of handholding, but we're working on, mm -hmm. or she's working on systems to be able to have that, you know, her goal is like, Hey, if I can make enough off this initially to pay our mortgage, that'd be a really great start. So, um, I just, I really have fun chasing deals. And I guess that would be my biggest, um, question that I'll post to your audience is what are you doing this for? Why are you doing this? And I think even if the money wasn't associated with it, I just, I'm a sales guy. I like real estate deals. I like business deals. I just, I really enjoy chasing deals and trying to make things happen that, you know, may seem difficult or, you know, potentially even impossible. And so I think that's what drives me and motivates me. And so anything that continues to push me in that, in that direction is obviously what I'm going to try to focus on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of different uh, real estate opportunities. I think it's some business opportunities. I think I think there's going to be some good opportunities. I think that's one of the things that we were, I was talking at a networking event uh, last week. I, I think there's going to be a lot of... I mean, I hate, I hate to say this, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunistic small business purchasing opportunities because I think a lot of people are in really, really tough shape right now. Mm -hmm. And so however you want to look at that, you know, opportunistic or, uh, you know, antagonistic, but I think that's an area that people are kind of not looking at as much just, to, and maybe that's just the circles that I run in because everyone's chasing these real estate deals. But I think there's a lot of business deals out there that are going to be good. And, and a lot of those may be associated with real estate as well. And the financing is a lot different for uh, businesses as it, than it is for real estate. You can get 90% LTV on a business, you know, with the real estate associated with it. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be um, business income, real estate income, you know, hopefully, hopefully all sorts of different stuff. So I just, I really want to try to help others and really understand what they want and the outcome that they really desire, because I think that's what most people struggle with is really defining what they want from the situation and, and from the outcome versus just, Hey, I want to be rich. And I think if that's the goal, I think a lot of people are going to have a rude awakening. They're going to get rich. I have no doubt. Right. I mean, they have, they're going to get rich, but as far as when they get to that pot of gold and that finish line that they think is going to mean something to them. I think they're going to be in for a rude awakening, realizing that that's not really the goal that they were chasing. Hmm. So neither one of us believe in the traditional view on retirement, the, the R word, right? Retirement. What are, what are some of those goals? Do you have like a, like a short bucket list or anything like any shiny objects on the other side of that for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest one is just, like I said, I mean, my family means the most, anything more than anything in the world to me, right? So being able to spend time with them, being able to visit them, you know, if they go off to college or doing doing fun trips, I think that's one of the hard things about being in a corporate gig sometimes is it is difficult to say, hey, I'm going to take four weeks off and we're going to go tour the, you know, the European countryside or we're going to go to Australia, right? Because uh, you, you don't want to just do something like that for a week, right? You don't want to just shoot down to Australia, New Zealand for a little bit. You want to take that time. And so I think that's what I really want to get to eventually is being able to travel the world, see the world a lot more. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it doesn't change too much with, uh, with all the factors of COVID going on right now. But, yeah. um, you know, one of the things my wife and I both talked about is kind of not necessarily a regret, but something that we wish we had done is we neither of us had ever done a semester abroad. And so I think that's one thing that we're very intrigued by is, is living abroad for, for 
not forever, but for an extended duration, six to 12 months or something like that. And so I think that's kind of back to this cash flow and, the, and this opportunity to create this income outside of active income, I would say, is that, you know, we definitely want to have locational freedom. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have a home base and, you know, for now and for the, for the immediate future, it'll definitely be North Carolina, but, uh, but yeah, spending time with family and, and finding different experiences in the world are the big bucket list ones. So I'd say, you know, if we had a chance to live outside of the country, six to 12 months somewhere, I think that would be something that we definitely want to knock out and, uh, you know, probably got to do it before the girls get too ingrained in sports and, uh, social circles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so as we close out, just uh, one last personal note, what are you reading right now? Yeah, so I need to do a little bit better job of that. Uh, I've, I've been juggling a lot of different things. I'm sure you know with the podcast, just trying to curate different content, snippets, videos, YouTube, quotes, uh, you know, different different little things here and there. Um, but so I'm a big mindset guy. I'm a big sales guy and I'm a big real estate guy. So those are the big ones. So flip the script from Warren Claff. I loved his first book pitch anything. Um, I just think he's very creative and very different. So it's about, um, it's kind of similar to the idea of inception. If you remember that movie and kind of Mm -hmm. planting the idea in the prospect's mind. And so then they come to the resolution saying, wow, this is, this is outstanding. Like, of course I want to choose this because it's my idea. And so uh, it's a pretty interesting book. I just read uh, Syndication is a Bitch by Bruce Peterson. I would highly recommend that to any of your listeners. Uh, It gives a really good uh, outline of what it is to be a syndicator and the risks and the rewards. And, you know, he's very open and honest and uh, it's extremely uh, funny as well. You know, he's very colorful in his language, Um, but I would highly recommend that. You can actually check that out, I think for free on his website. So I would definitely check that one out. Um, And then I'm just finally finishing up um, meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So, um, you know, that one was recommended to me. It's a little dry. Uh, so, you know, it's taken me a while to get through Mm -hmm. it, but, uh, but that's what I'm chewing on right now. But yeah, anything that I can do to push myself, uh, you know, definitely, like I said, mindset, sales, negotiations, psychology, and real estate are are kind of the areas that I continue and want to grow and, and, and hope to grow. I love it. I love the, the whole list. Uh, I actually just finished meditations, probably a month or two ago. So, and it oh, did, awesome. it, it took a little longer than <laughs> It's pretty dry, it on, it's good. It's yeah, good, but. I did it on Audible and I'm like dozing off at the wheel. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or, you know, learn more about what you do, uh, definitely, you know, your podcast, you know, how can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, so obviously I'm on LinkedIn, John Blanton. Uh, the website for my business is peakcapitalgrp.com. So that's a majority of my real estate stuff. I'm kind of intertwining some of the podcast. And then you can check out contrariancashflow.com. Uh, just linked that up recently. So pretty excited about that. So yeah, you can just go to the name of the podcast, contrariancashflow.com. Listen to all the episodes there. And uh, there's there's a bunch of different links and all sorts of stuff to get in contact with me in any way that I can. And, and like I said, I just... I really enjoy helping people. I feel like I'm very fortunate that a lot of people have given me a hand up in life so far. And I really just want to pay that forward and uh, really just help other people find their purpose and the outcomes that they really desire. So, you know, always love and welcome uh, new contacts and in any ways that I can help. And obviously, you know, hopefully uh, others can help me as well. Fantastic. I'll link to all those in the show notes. Thank you, John, for your time and insights today. It's been very valuable. Thanks, Chris. Loved it. Talk to you soon. All righty. Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful. 
feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. Skyline Views, The Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisor representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Neither Coastal Equities Incorporated nor Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated is affiliated with Skyline Views or The Haney Company. Advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.